everybody, you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast... Huh? Did we start? I just started. Oh. <laughs> all right. I thought you were testing the mic, so that's all right. I'm good with it. <laughs> this is a podcast on the church. <laughs> I'm going to keep that because it's funny. All right. Uh, podcast on the church for the church. You are... Uh, I'm Dan. Yeah. I, <laughs> You're Kirk. I'm, I'm Kirk. And we are... This has got to be one of the, the uh, jankiest sort of... Uh, setups we've had for recording because we are in Dan's van right now driving on our way driving to Bristol and Dan where are we headed? To Simeon Trust Workshop Alright so we got Simeon Trust Workshop today uh, the rest of this week so we're rec- I'm holding the microphone in my hand and the audio quality may not be as great this time but we're we're making do and today we are going to talk about uh, the uh, chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 the message to the church of Smyrna. Um, and let's just dive right in. So, just like as an introductory into this passage, um, in verse 8 it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. And so Jesus describes himself here, uh, particularly that second description of, of someone who died and came to life. I want to just, as an entry point into our discussion, Dan, why do you think he says that to Smyrna? Like, what what is what does that specifically have to do to encourage and comfort them? Yeah. So I think, uh, like I mentioned, just real brief in the sermon. So there's one idea that because the the, the city of Smyrna did refer to itself as the city that died and came to life mm. because it it had. It was built around 1000 BC, and then it was a thriving city till 600 BC, roughly, and then got demolished. It, it lay dormant for almost 300 years, got rebuilt sometime around 330 BC, and then uh, became this very prominent city in the Roman Empire. Roman Empire. So they refer to themselves as this city that was dead and, and was raised again. So he's one. He's playing off of that. Yeah, it could be this idea of like, no, this I'm the true one that. Uh, was has been has always been the first and the last, and, and I I'm the one that died and I, I am raised to life and I'm I'm the living one, so it could be that idea. I didn't really I just alluded to that in the sermon because I don't think that's really like the the main thing that he's wanting. Yeah. To get the it's not the hear. crux of it. Yeah. It's like that'd be interesting if so, but yeah, I focus more on the idea. I mean, you basically have two things going on. It can be the idea of like your worst enemy has been defeated, like death has already. Like, suffering physically on earth is one thing, but to suffer eternally uh, is by far worse, and that's been conquered. Uh, so, like, the idea of, like, you're, you're, the bigger enemy has been conquered already by Jesus. Yeah. Uh, or this idea of uh, it's kind of being contrasted with the, the crown of life that will be given to you, that you, you too, will be given life. Yeah. That you can trust me when I say it's worth, like, striving persevering, patiently enduring through suffering for the sake of the gospel because I am the one that is living and I can give you life too. Yeah. Really those those go together, the idea yeah. of how he's defeated the the enemy of death and then what he later says about this idea of like we'll be given the crown of life. So even if we die we will have life. Um and then the idea of not being hurt by the second death. Yeah. Um, really, the idea of the great, like the, the idea of a, he's defeated that greater enemy. It shows that, no, like, no one can deal us a blow in this life that Jesus is not one in control of. 
um, where that mm-hmm. suffering or that persecution is not something he has control of, nor is it something that he himself has got victory over. So what's the worst someone can do to us? Mm-hmm. They could kill us. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Jesus beat, yeah. Jesus beat death. So really, they don't have any weapons at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's that's kind of how, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of this passage does have to deal with the fact that he's talking to a suffering church. Mm-hmm. Um, a church that is facing the possibility of death and physical persecution. Um, in terms of as we think about that for ourselves, what do you think can intimidate us or scare us the most about suffering? Of why that, why this is a difficult, can be a difficult application for us to think about. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked about this in our small group a little bit last night, actually. Huh. Um, and the two main ones that seem to surface were uh, this the idea of like pain just like, the pain of it and yeah. not knowing how long it's going to last especially if you take the 10 days as like a completion of time like it's not there might be a sense of brevity as well with the 10 but still yeah. like just not knowing how can I endure that <clears throat> but then there was also actually the majority of voice it sounded like was it was more the idea of <clears throat> the people that are in my family and like not being able to care for them so um you know i can't provide for them i can't help them and just that feeling of not i'm not in control to be able to help and how do i care for them yeah i think and so you that's a question that you posed um in the in some discussions questions you shared with the church and i we incorporated here for the podcast i part of it that i think is illuminating is to kind of ask occasionally like why why do you think that's an important question to actually yeah. reflect on like why is that helpful yeah I, I, well one I think it just like those fears are actually there so it's really helpful to actually talk through them and like expose them but then also like we see the empowerment in the passage like Jesus doesn't he one he doesn't hide the suffering that's coming from his church but then he also tells them like gives them the direction of where to look so where you can find power and comfort and strength to actually endure it so that we don't have to shrink back in fear. Because um, fear is going to come. I've, I've, I don't know where I got this from, but um, I've always liked the idea of like uh, faith is looking fear in the face and going through it, just like Jesus in the garden. Like it's, that's going to come, and it's going to be a fearful situation. That's the instinct, but true faith then looks through it and goes through it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like with with other uh, struggles we might have as well. Um, like for example, if we are struggling with a sin, it's it's good to actually understand kind of the depths of like the motivations yeah. and the intricacies of actually like what's going on in my heart that's kind of leading right, like yeah. what's at root there, so that I can actually apply the truth of Scripture to it. Yeah. Now in this case, those fears are not necessarily sinful. Like the fear of like being afraid of or, or having a, an aversion to pain, if we yeah. can put it that way, that's 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 not a bad thing. Sure, that's kind yeah. of a natural, yeah. normal thing. Or like wanting your family to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it may not. It may. It could be. It could have sinful aspects to it. But mm-hmm. these things are not necessarily inherently sinful. But it's good to know about them anyways, so that we can know what we're dealing with when we apply yeah. the truths of this scripture. Yeah, particularly that second one. If I allow that to just really take root, though, like this inability to have control of the situation, and then that stirs up like deeper anxious thoughts where I've been feeling kind of unable to kind of like get through normal parts of the day and stuff and that's overwhelming me yeah then it reaches that sinful part yeah for sure so in your sermon you um you exposited various realities that this passage presents to us that are meant to fuel this charge to be 
uh, fearless and faithful, as you put it, in the face of these difficulties. So let's go ahead and dig into some of these, um, into this material, this passage, a little bit more in depth, and then we'll kind of come out with some reflection questions on that. Um, so let me just walk us through this. In, in our next verse, we looked at verse 8. In verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And I think one of the things you did in the sermon was that you you helped us see the the way that Revelation is often paradoxical and it flips things. So right. we have a couple of those here already and in, in, this, in this passage you have the idea that they were materially poor but but Jesus says they're rich. He 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 says the reverse for their opponents, the the Jewish folks. He says that they are they're not actually Jewish um, but they're a synagogue of Satan. And then we also have the theme of like, even though you would be, you would die, you're actually going to live. So we have some reversals going on. I think that one about, um, about, I'd like to dig in a little bit more to the idea of like, what does it mean when he says they're rich? Because if they're material poor, like in what sense are they rich? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want, you want to sing that song again? No, please do not. (laughs) Dan sang, if you didn't listen to the sermon audio yet, Dan decided to sing a song in the middle of the sermon. And I had people texting me on Zoom being like, what, the, is the audio broken? What's happening? And I'm like, no, that's just Dan singing. That's... <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think uh, you can go two ways with it, or perhaps really both. Like, you can have this idea of, like, you're storing up wealth. Even though, like, here you have nothing, you're storing a, a deep wealth wealth in heaven. Sort of like uh, where you're... Where your money is there, your heart will be also. Like Matthew like, 6, I think. toward God, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, that idea, uh, as well as kind of that parable about Lazarus, who is poor on earth, and was, like, I think he had swords or was begging, remember? Yeah, but and the then, dogs are licking him and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. then he's, like, his, he's, re- he's glory, reversed, he's reversed yeah. right? So that would be this idea of, like, your inheritance is coming. Like, you, you are a royal, uh, what's it, uh, not, not an inheritor, what's that called? Uh, I'm not sure. The person, who, the person who inherits things. Yeah, yeah. What's the isn't there a term for that? Uh, a son, a daughter. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Yeah. You have this a benefactor. No, that's w- not wonderful the... inheritance waiting. So it could be that idea, or or the idea of like you may not have anything on, on earth, and uh, in, in the world looks at you as poor, but true riches is to have fellowship with God. Like that is truly life. Like I came to, that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And true life is not having all the earth, because you can have all the earth and your, have your soul perish, but it's actually to know God. Like, what eternal life is to know God, according to, to Jesus. Yeah. And so, like, that's the true riches. Yeah. I think of the New Testament theme about how we have been blessed in Christ with all spiritual blessings. Yep. I think it's Ephesians 1. And so, like, there, there, everything everything is ours in Christ. Like, yep. there's not a single thing more we can ask for that we yep. don't have in Christ. Mm-hmm. So we are truly rich in, yep. the, in the sense that actually matters. It's not just like a ploy to be like, well, yeah, you're poor, but you should probably think yourself as rich. No, yeah. we literally are. Like, we have everything yeah. we could possibly want. Yeah. And I think it's 2 Corinthians 8, doesn't he say, uh, Paul says, in, in his, so that Jesus left heaven so that in his poverty you could become rich. Yeah, yeah, 2 Corinthians 8. Yeah. That, he became that in his, he became poor so that in his poverty we might yeah. become rich. So speaking about the way like his incarnation most likely yeah. his becoming poor for us to yeah. actually enrich us through the gospel. Right. 
Um, I think there's a lot of, um, I, I, a question I think might be interesting is like the practical, and we don't spend a whole lot of time on this, but even just briefly, what the practical impacts might be if, uh, if we were to incorporate this into our thinking more. The idea that believers, irrespective of our earthly economic circumstances, are rich. Um, I mean, can you think of, off the top of your head, this might be the first time you're hearing this question, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. like, think yeah. of ways that that would impact us practically if we if we absorbed this perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, even the even going back to the the building of bigger barns, like it's just like it's the parable where the yeah. man is building barns. Yeah. When Jesus says, "Be rich toward God," um, like the, it takes away the feeling, the need to like secure everything for myself because I'm gonna, I'm gonna need that in order to be happy. Like, there's nothing wrong with saving or something like that. But my, my hope and satisfaction and insignificance and safety in, in the world comes from having some secure um, riches, an account, a bank account, or a retirement account, or my debt to income ratio is so, so good. Um, yeah, and, and just that's not all evil or something like that. But to look as that to that 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 can save me, um, it it just challenges if, whether or not we're we're willing to be sacrificial with that and hold that loosely, uh, and, or even put a cap on it or something. Yeah, to say like it's, I, I am going to be rich toward God and, and give. Yeah, it's not to say we we don't save or no. aren't prudent, but but it does. It is a theme throughout the New Testament. I mean, especially here, you get this. You, it touches on it. The idea that it relativizes the value of wealth. Yeah. If John can say, like, listen, you're secu- you have you have all the security you want in Christ, and they're not even physically rich, that means that having wealth is not a necessity to being secure uh, before God. Um, it means that there's it has relative value. It means we would be. I think it would have the impact that we'd be less. We'd have we'd put less value on accumulating wealth because it's not as important as we make it out to be. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is where like um, going into a different culture to a place where there's not as much resources, where there's true followers of Jesus and being with them can be really valuable for us. Like ones that, that are in poverty and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Yep. I think it would also it, have a radical effect on like. Uh, uh, freeing us to be more generous yeah, um, in our in our sure. giving and things like that. Yeah, I'm I'm saying like getting in that setting, it might actually that almost has to awaken us. Like being able to see it actually lived out is yeah is something profound. Like when you go to somewhere and these people don't have anything, and they they like uh, I just remember being in a place where they they killed the, the chickens, and they they don't normally eat those chickens, but they killed rare, it for they you killed it for us to yeah. eat, and then. Um, I mean, you just see things. You're like, wow! Like, but these people truly love the Lord, and they are happy in Him. Yeah, it just helps you to see, like, wow! I, I really am quick to to look to, towards other things. But. Yeah. So I think I mean it's a subtle little phrase in there. Yeah. I mean it's not that subtle actually, but like it's a small little phrase in the passage that you're you're poor but you're actually rich. I think it frees us to be generous. It frees us to be radical with our with the money we do have. And I think it relativizes how much value we actually put on accumulating yeah. it. Yeah. One, one comment I think might be worth stating is that the language where he talks about um, the synagogue, they're not actually Jews in a synagogue, synagogue of Satan, that can, in our context, like in a world that is understandably more sensitive to like anti-Semitic yeah. sort of stuff, I think it's important to know, feel free to add anything to this, but I think it's important to know like John, sometimes people make 
take statements like this in the Bible and they accuse John especially of being like anti-Semitic and things like that. And it's important to note, like John isn't, the Bible isn't, the New Testament isn't having some bent against the Jewish people as if like they are, like there's some like curse on them or something like that. It, it's, it's this language of them being like not Jews in a synagogue of Satan isn't so much, it's not related to the fact that they're Jewish. It's not related to their ethnicity. But it's related to the fact that they, um, being Jews, being God's people from the Old Testament, like, are rejecting the Messiah. It's it's a comment on their spiritual condition. It's not like a racist comment or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just going to recognize John himself was, was, a, Jew. was a Jew. Yeah. Uh, Jesus himself, born in the Jewish genealogy, he was a Jew. Uh, Paul, a Jew. And, you know, when you think of the apostles going out, they went to the synagogues first because especially as you read Paul like there's this longing for the Jewish people to come into faith and, right. and, and, and worship Jesus as Messiah so there was a deep love for the Jewish people it's just the reality is especially as you read Acts it was the Jewish leaders that really brought a lot of trouble on the Christian because as I mentioned quickly in the sermon like the Roman government at that time for the most part was okay with the gospel like the Christianity because they saw it as a sect of Judaism yeah. So it wasn't. They weren't as alarmed. And as, Christians got the exemptions yeah. and everything. Like they didn't have to worship. They didn't have to offer worship to the emperor right. because they were yeah. seen as a part of this group of Jewish people that yeah. the Romans had realized. Like we probably shouldn't force them to go along with this. They get pretty. Yeah. They're pretty zealous about their monotheism. Yep. Yeah. And so it was then the Jewish leaders that that basically like threw the Christians like to them. Yeah. They outed say, them. Yeah. They said they're not with us. Yeah. yeah. Which subjected the, the Christians to persecution yeah. at that point, because then the Romans are like, "Well, then you're your own thing. We got to treat you on your own terms." Yeah. And, and so, so okay. I was well, gonna, <laughs> you yeah, go, you well, go. Well, in, in Acts, what if you remember, like when we were preaching through that, like you kind of watch. Even Paul goes to the next city, and leaders of the Jewish uh, group like follow Paul. They keep following, like, they keep him, following yeah. around to make sure all the all the leaders in the city, like, no, like, no, these guys, and they're trying, they're trying to stir up trouble. For them. Yeah. So John is most likely, uh, what he's doing here, it seems, is, is a way of kind of saying, like, the Jewish people would have been saying, the, the non-believing Jewish people, that is, would have been saying, well, you're, you Christians, you're not, actually a, you're not actually God's people, you're not a part of us, um, and John is, it's, John, John is saying, no, it's actually the reverse. By rejecting Messiah Jesus, these people who would conceive of themselves as God's people because of the what we know in the Old Testament and God's election of Abraham and his seed and all that. He's saying, well, actually, no. They're actually a synagogue of Satan, which fits with what Jesus says in John 8, John's other writings where Jesus, into crying and out crying against the Jewish leaders, says you have you are of your father, right. the devil. Yeah. Like if you if you yeah. if you believe the lies and you act like he does in rejecting Christ, it's not about it's not a comment about your Jewishness that they're somehow saying, well, that makes you uh, because you're Jewish, you must be a mm -hmm. child of Satan. It's not about their ethnicity, but yeah. about the spiritual condition. Yeah, you could imagine. If, if the Bible was written today, you could imagine them saying other sort of statements like synagogue of Satan about potential other religions claiming to be um, holding the truth. Like any yeah. any any other, any institution that would claim truth contrary to Christ, I, I think they would be subject to the similar yeah. criticism. In fact, the very next letter, the letter to Brugel, uses the phrase of Satan's throne. Yeah. So it's not, a, it's, it's not unique to the no. Jewish people. Yep. All right. Um... 
So he says in verse 10, uh, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days. You'll, oh, sorry, and for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, I just want to make a comment. I think what I think is really interesting here is that he says, don't be afraid, do not fear. And I think our, if we heard someone say, don't be afraid, and they're about to face suffering or persecution, I think our thought would be, oh, well, they're not going to face the persecution. Like, don't be afraid because you're somehow, like, I'm going to, God is going to cause us to not have to face that. Or if it's like, you're going to face the suffering, but don't be afraid. Then the thought is like, maybe, well, it's not going to be so bad or I'm, or I'm going to come out of it. All right. But what's interesting here, like, don't miss the fact that he says, don't be afraid. And then he says, um, be faithful unto death. Like, even if you die, like, wait, I thought that's why I wasn't supposed to be afraid because I'm not going to die. No, be faithful unto death. And yet don't be afraid. Um, I think that helps us understand how, how motivating Jesus sees the motivations. Like the fact that he has conquered death yeah. means we don't have to be afraid in the face of death. Um, I, one question I have is, do, you, do we know anything about the historical circumstances of this persecution in Smyrna? Um, I don't expect us to do, but yeah. I, figure, I figure I'd ask. Not necessarily, apart, apart from one, it was a very strong center of emperor worship, so each year a citizen had to offer incense in worship to the uh, Roman emperor, uh, or possibly be punishable, be punishable by death, uh, or some sort of, even if it's not death, it's all, it could be uh, economical, yeah. um, but nonetheless, uh, it's, it's more the story I shared uh, with Polycarp. Uh, you know, that's several dec- couple decades later. If this is written early to mid '90s or so, and Polycarp was killed in 155, you're talking 50 years later. Or so, so, um, and that was at least Polycarp was at least the 12th that uh, the church uh, talks about being killed for the faith. the 12th person, the 12th martyr. Okay, in, in, yeah. the, in the city there. Yeah. So, okay. Um, and then you already mentioned this a little bit, but I've wondered if the idea of 10 days, he says 10 days, understanding yeah. that symbolically, if it is referring to kind of the fullness of the the tribulation, like God's control over it. Yeah. I've also wondered just in contrast to other numbers that mm-hmm. function that way about like the fullness of this time period, like in, in, in chapter 20, we'll get the a thousand years um, that the, the martyred saints will reign for a thousand years. Yeah. Now, obviously John, like, so there John can choose a thousand which is a really big number and here you can choose 10 so one of the thoughts i've had is like that it may signify um not just 10 as a number of completion but almost like a small number of completion like there's limits on Mm -hmm. on the the amount of suffering that god will allow his church to go through would you agree with that or what are your thoughts on that yeah so i mean you have three options one it's 10 literal days like literal yeah okay some people hold that um then some hold the uh, second view would be the brevity piece. Just 10 is, he's trying to highlight the brevity of it. The third view is more the completion aspect. Like, like 10 signifies last, completion. Yeah, it will last as long as I allow it to last. And Satan can't make it go more and you can't make it go less. So just rest in the fact that I know how long it's going to go and it will go that long. 
Um, or I guess the fourth one you're suggesting may, maybe a mixture of the two and three, um, which certainly could be. I kind of landed a little bit more on the third with kind of feeling the flavor of, or I'm sorry, the second feeling. No, what did I say? I third think the was? third, the, the, the one of completion. Yeah. Yeah. I've settled on that one with uh, a little bit of a, f- just a slight flavor of the brevity, but I didn't actually talk about the brevity piece. Um, I don't know. the. the Maybe one of the arguments that you could use against the brevity piece is later he talks about like three and a half, three and a half days or three and a half years or whatever it is. Uh, also uses one hour, so there's times like it seems like he's using very short numbers, but ten is a short, uh, much shorter number than a thousand years too. So I, yeah, it's not like I wouldn't really quibble over that. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I think want the flavor of completion though. Okay, I I think I'd be okay with brevity. Yeah, but I do feel like I'd want. Uh, that like the mixture I do feel like I should qualify that I'm a little bit more in the minority view in terms of the readers that I the okay the idea of completion being um, okay so it's maybe like where's the majority maybe uh, on the brevity maybe okay. like two thirds towards that and then a third towards um gotcha if, if Man, yeah, I and I haven't exactly. studied, I haven't, like, looked at the literature and read people's kind of arguments about it. Yeah. I've just kind of, a, my assumption had kind of been about more the idea of the brevity of it. Um, yeah. But especially when I think of, like, the use of a thousand years. Yeah. And, are we stopping to get you some coffee? Yeah, yeah. Okay. When you think about the a thousand years in Revelation 20, I've, I, my, my assumption there is he's deliberately using a really large number to convey kind of, like, an, an expansive sense yeah. of the victory. Yeah, yeah. I think especially with that statement of like to test you, um, it just that just gives me a sense of very clear divine design, which you could say divine, divinely designed also for brevity, like his control over yeah. it for brevity. Um, okay, you know I just discovered what that uh, that hum was. What was that? Uh, I had the the heater in the back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you've been listening. Well, we gotta stay warm. So we've had you've been hearing. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to block that out with uh, getting rid of some oh, of the yeah. background noise. Yeah. All right. Uh, I my wallet. Can you buy me a coffee? Sure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> um, I was about to pull out my phone and get get my app out to buy you your Starbucks. All right, Dan's gonna order here. Hi there. Welcome to Starbucks. What can I get started for you today? I gotta just get a. 16-ounce uh, blonde roast. No room for anything. No room. You got it. Anything else? No, no that'll do it. No room do for want? anything. No, I'm good. Uh, Kirk. <laughs> All right, we'll have that ready That's not true. His name is Dan. <laughs> All right. Uh, so two, two, two more questions. Can you... Uh, make now a- I'm like... No, the thought in my head is like, did I just lie or am I just like being goofy? Yeah, both. Like, oh, man. Um, and it's caught on... And it's called on a podcast, so yeah. church discipline. I'll, have to, I'll, I'll let her know. I'm, I'm okay. Um, so <laughs> comments on two more phrases. He uses, let me read the last verse. In verse 11, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by second, by the second death. So he uses this language of, he said that he's the one who, what does he say in verse 8? The one who died and came to life. And then verse 10, he talks about the crown of life. And then here he says, not being hurt by the second death. Can you comment more on the uh, the meaning, the imagery of those those latter two, the crown of life and the second death? What are we supposed to t- What are we supposed to take? What are we supposed to get from that? What's the meaning yeah. of those things? Yeah. Um, so 
the crown of life, I, I do think probably has the idea of like the eth- so again, I alluded, I don't know, no, I didn't allude, I can't remember if I alluded to this in the sermon. There's some that uh, think that Smyrna, Smyrna was referred to as the crown of Asia. Uh, it did on its coins have a crown around it. I can't remember. You may have mentioned okay. that, but either way, that, either way, that's a thing. It's another thing that um, other, other ideas is that it, it crowned itself around the harbor or some building, but n- nonetheless, the, the crown was a, a, a prominent symbol in um, Smyrna. So yeah. it's possible again, just like the city that died and raised to, to life. There's a quick, like, subtle allusion to that, but I don't. I wouldn't put my focus there because I, I think it actually is more this idea of like. Being standing victorious, uh, like the athletes would receive uh, when they com- com- uh, competed in the games or whatever. Because the crown, that word is like it can mean the, like the wreath that they would yes, receive. It in actually, the, yeah, it was that yeah. wreath. Yeah, which is interesting because the word yeah. conquer. Um, if you listen to the episode I did on the theme of conquering, that word can either be kind of used in military co- settings or athletic settings, like okay. to be a yeah. victor. Yeah. All right, Dan's gonna make his yeah. payment here. Hi, Kirk, how you doing? Good. Good. We're rec- we're recording a podcast. Don't worry, we're not recording you. While you're going to the drive-through. Well, just yeah. while we're driving in general, we have a long drive. I realize that looks really weird. I'm holding this microphone while we're going through the drive-through. <laughs> She's like, "What are you doing?" Um, all right, so yeah, the, that, there's athletic imagery. Yeah, so it would be the idea of um, like unto death, and it would be like this idea of coming through death, and you're standing victorious. And your crown, your crown, like the athlete, having, you're standing there um, as, as the victor. Yeah. And then the crown itself um, is life given to you. So then it, it kind of contrasts the death. Um, so it, I think this is where, like, we talked a little bit. I could have been a little bit more clear in the sermon. Not necessarily that we're supposed to think like, oh, I'm going to get a crown one day. Like a literal the, the crown headpiece. itself is life. I mean, right. there may be crowns. Like I, sure. I like that's, but that's not where my mind goes, and it's not what this passage no, is actually trying to say. It's drumming up this imagery of like I've come through this the death, and I've come through this battlefield of of life and like the hardships of life, and I, I'm now on the other side, and I'm victorious in Jesus, and, yeah, and I'm given life. It's really powerful imagery yeah. when you think about it, because the idea is like, like you could put it if you could translate it this way, if it makes it clear, the crown, which is life. So, like the idea of the yeah. crown is an image for is an image of victory for the life, and it's it conveys the idea of like when you die. By most, Dan's always got to put his coffee in uh, his own little to-go cup because he doesn't he likes to keep his coffee warm. So that's what yeah. you're hearing him splash his coffee around here. Um, the idea being that by all appearances' sake, if you were killed, you did not win. You lost. Right, yeah. You lost in the greatest sense. But what Jesus is saying here is no. Actually, by being faithful unto death, you you are victorious. You've conquered, and yeah. the 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 reward that you get upon death, believer, is that you actually get life. Yeah, that's your reward. Your crown is you. You are to be crowned in this figurative sense, at least, yeah. with the idea that you will have life, and that fits. Then that couples with. The other imagery of this idea of second death. Now that shows up again in twenty and twenty-one. Yeah, twenty and twenty-one, which is contrasted with the first. Re- you have the first resurrection of those who uh, believers who die and again experience life, um, versus the idea of then the second death. So, what's this? Can you make comments on this idea of second death? Yeah, it would be the idea of like the absolute, like final 
judgment, where like in the second death you have the beast is thrown into the lake of fire. Um, he actually says the the lake of fire is the second death. Hmm. It's um, which is like so like, and the lake of fire is reserved for the fate of unbelievers after Christ comes to issue yeah. the final judgment. So it's yeah. kind of that like it's a it's a final judgment. Second death is that. It's almost like the solidification of death. Yeah. It's like a, it's it's the idea of eternal death. Like yeah. you can physically die, but like a believer will physically die and experience the yeah. first death, so to say, yeah. which for them is actually the first resurrection. Yeah. But we will also then experience a second death, whereas or a second resurrection, whereas the unbeliever will actually experience a second death. Yeah. What's interesting is in death and Hades are thrown into the, the lake of fire. So se- death enters the second death. Yeah, obviously we're dealing with imagery. Yes, yeah, yeah. So the idea, but the second death being the uh, coterminous with, or the same as, uh, uh, I can't use these fancy words around Dan. Coterminous <laughs> means the same. Uh, <laughs> um, the uh, I just threw you under the bus. That's, I I, that's right. I didn't want to say coterminous and then someone's listening. is like, what is he talking about? So I threw you under the bus. But right, the same... He's using the same language, second death and lake of uh, lake of fire, as this idea of the final judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to use that language of first and second throughout the book to contrast the fate of life and death. The believers, we we will experience first resurrection and second resurrection, yeah. so to say. Yeah. All right. So you could summarize. You you pointed out four motivations that this passage gives us. One, Jesus is in control of history altogether, and so our suffering in particular. Jesus has conquered the greater enemy, which I'm assuming is death, right? Okay. I assume that's what you meant there. C is the true wealth is not in our position of the in the world, but in our position before God. And then one day the kingdom paradox will be fully experienced. This ultimate reversal will will occur. So, um, some reflection questions then. And if we get cut off heading, if we arrive early, we can always continue this on our trip back home. But what are some reasons we might struggle to live in the good of these realities, of these promises to us? Well, I, you know, the first thought that pops in my head is in a similar way that, you know, one negative comment can stick in my head, even though I might have five people saying an encouraging word to me. It's yeah, the, the one negative, negative thing comment that sticks her. in my head. Um, it's very easy to uh, be focused on the, the hardship and like I get so consumed with that versus being able to actually look look up and look at look at the reality that Jesus is trying to paint for me so I, I just don't think enough of of who he truly is and what he's truly promised um, and, and that's a sure recipe for you know to, to be full of fear actually yeah I think the other thing too is we are the the reality we see around us and that we experience physically like whether if we're experiencing suffering or what have you that can feel like the truer yeah. reality yeah. whereas that's actually one of the things that Revelation is trying to address is that it knows that we you know we live in a world where what we see with our eyes can if taken on solely on its own terms um, it can it can lead to a, a limited perspective on things but yeah. it's oftentimes the perspective that pulls on us more because we're physical people mm-hmm. we're, we live in this world and so Revelation need, says we need to come in and get, gain a greater perspective the heavenly perspective yeah. the perspective in light of the end but that's a, that's a perspective we have to fight for yeah. I mean hence the purpose of the book if we didn't have to fight for it the book would be kind of superfluous yeah yeah, I agree there's another, think- there's another big word Point. it'd be pointless 
Yeah. Oh, I thought it was super something. Super, superfluous. Like super. No, it's superfluous. No. Um, <laughs> no, I also think, um, like we're we've just grown. If you've grown up in the states here, like prosperity gospel has had such a strong influence in the in our culture or in, in the in the American church that I, I think it it infiltrates into, um, you know our all of our circles more than we kind of are aware and just the lifestyle that that we live as americans it's just they're even just like this the under like okay so something happens with uh you buy a new um you know dishwasher and it doesn't work there's this thing inside of us that this shouldn't be like this i i who do i need to call and fix this like this is not right so yeah, yeah it's just like that's just in us and you know there's fortunate things to be like we are like, kind of in we're kind of expect a life yeah. of ease. Uh-huh. And so, and then when when you have prosperity gospel, that mix comes into that and says, like, well, God also doesn't yeah. want... He... Well, your Christianity he, actually he, supports you, this that idea. there's something yeah. wrong with you if you don't have ease. Uh, and there's there can be those subtle thoughts in us that, that really grab hold of that. Uh, in our flesh, I think that's appealing to our flesh. Like, we yeah. want that to be true. Um, because, like we said earlier, we're afraid of the pain. Yeah. Yeah, Christianity that appeals to our desire for ease and our and our flesh is a Christianity that has lost the uh, its grip on on biblical teaching for yeah. sure, and the call to bear our cross mm-hmm. and follow Christ. All right, so that wraps things up for today. Um, we'll be trying to get another episode recorded for uh, the passage with respect to the message to Pergamum, uh, leading up to Dan's sermon. So be on the lookout to that but until then uh see you next time